Good morning, and welcome to the digital ministry of First Baptist Church of Aransas Pass, Texas. Here's Pastor Ian with this week's biblical message. God, we love you and we thank you. Lord, I submit myself to your rule and authority. I submit myself to your teaching, to your truth. I submit myself, Lord, to the word of God. I submit myself to you, Father. I submit myself in, and in humble submission, Father, ask that you would give me the words to speak, that you would be, uh, that, that you would be, uh, that my thoughts would be on you, and, and that your power, Lord, would be alive this morning through the word and in the presence of the Holy Spirit in your church, God, to bring us together and to help us to understand what it is that you're telling us through this psalm. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Anybody else getting hungry already with daylight savings time? Anybody else? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, Kevin was telling me that earlier. He says his, his, his stomach was already like, nope, it's time to get to lunch. You know, okay. I think mine is two now, though. All right. Okay, Lord, fill me, please. All right. Let's go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, <clears throat> anybody read this before? Psalm 1, yeah? A lot of us, right? Uh, we, a lot of us grow up and, 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 and in through the church and in, in our own teaching and uh, in Sunday school or at uh, youth camps or, you know, they, they encourage the, the reading of the Word of God and, and that's a good thing and, and we need this. And in the reading of the Word of God, you know, we cannot escape the Psalms. You know, we, we cannot escape the Psalms, Right? We cannot escape the Psalms because of the encouragement that the Psalms offer to us. And also, um, have you ever heard, pray the Psalms? Has anybody ever told you, pray the Psalms? Um, that's also something that's very beneficial, that we, they, we pray the Psalms. And, and, but, but even more beneficial than praying the Psalms is any reading of Scripture that, 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 you, that you undertake, any reading of Scripture, you should pray in response to that reading. So any, anything you read, pray in response to what you read, church. Um, but this is something that's, that's maybe familiar for us. Is blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So we see a, a stark contrast there between the first two verses, don't we? We see uh, somebody who walks in the way uh, of the wicked, sits in the seats of scoffers, and then we hear uh, that, that that's not the blessed man, but the one is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord. And that on his law, he meditates day and night. And now, back in then, in that time, the law would, 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 would be the law. It would be the law of Moses, uh, the law that God gave to his people, that his people were supposed to follow so that they would be separated out from the rest of the world and uh, made holy unto him. Uh, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Uh, they had to offer, uh, the high priest even offered sacrifices um, for his sins because every single person on this planet is uh, 
undertake sin at some point, right? We all know that we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners and we all need a Savior. And we need a Savior because God, off, God requires sacrifice. That's what his law dictates, that he requires sacrifice in order to be in his presence and to be in right standing with him. That we cannot be made righteous apart from the law um, unless somebody who lives out the law and fulfills the law perfectly, who is righteous himself, fulfills the law, and then we believe in that person, and then by imputation, um, by his own work, that's how we get in, and the work of Christ on the cross did that for us as he was sacrificed on the cross, and he shed blood for us so that we are covered in his righteousness because we believe in him. And now God's grace covers you, which is the undeserved gift of God. Um, we also hear grace described as unmerited favor. That just means that we don't work for the favor of God that God blesses us with. He gives us favor that we have nothing to do with. No work of your own, no work of your own determines the favor of God. So God doesn't see, okay, he's been good, so I'm going to have favor on him. I'm going to have grace over him. That's not the way that the grace of God works. And that's what the scripture teaches is that God blesses those whom he chooses to bless and has grace over those whom he chooses to have grace over. Now, you could hear that and say, well, golly, I can't believe that God saves some and, and doesn't save all people. And uh, well, I, I say, you know, like many of us who read the scripture and know the truth of God would say, I can't believe that God saves any of us um, because we are all so imperfect and we have all messed up so bad and so royally from the, 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 the moment when we could have an, and utter our own thoughts. You know, we are, we are, are, are desperate for him. Uh, we are desperately, the, the, the heart of man is, is desperately sick, the Bible says. And so we need his grace. We need him to cover us. We cannot get in because we will never do anything to choose him on our own. We won't even come to him unless he calls us. John chapter 6 says that the Father calls us, right? And we won't, even, we won't even come to him. We won't choose him unless the calling of God goes out first. Unless we hear that call with our mind, with our heart. Unless we hear that call, we will never come to God. That's how desperately sick the mind is and the, 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 the heart of man is. You know that the heart of man is so sick that people like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and, and, and Chairman Mao and, and these people exist, that, that the, the, all of the, the regimes of, of North Korea exist, that the heart of God is so sick and wicked and twisted that in France they're beheading people in the streets, uh, Christians. Do you know that the, the heart of man is desperately sick, sick enough to do those kinds of things? All kinds of evil spring forth from the heart of man. This is how desperately sick and wicked the heart of man is. This is why we need God. This is why we need somebody to intercede and intervene for us. This is why we need somebody to go to God on our behalf. This is why we need the blessing of God to cover us and the grace of God to call us to himself so that we can even accept the invitation of God in the first place. This is why we need... the. Let me tell you something. And we have not even seen the wickedness and the depths of wickedness of the human heart play out. If God did not stay the hands and hearts of men to a certain point, the wickedness of man would go even further than it is now. And I want for us to realize that. Did you know that at one point the heart of man was so desperately sick and wicked that God wiped everybody off the face of the planet, save one family? Whew. Hello. That's a wickedness. That is a true, the, 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 the Bible says that their hearts were wicked all the time. They're evil and, and con, con, they were concentrated on evil all the time, thinking evil all the time, all the time. Man, we need God, don't we? We need God. And so God tells us that, 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 that we're not going to be blessed if we, if we, if we um, here he says, uh, if, if we walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
we walk in the counsel of we will not. Because he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So that means we should not walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? That's what that means, right? Nor stands in the way of sinners. So what does that look like? Well, the counsel of the wicked, walking in the counsel of the wicked, what does that look like? Well, it looks like living in sin. That's what it looks like, sin. Dwelling in, living in sin, continuing in it. That's walking in the counsel of the wicked. Living in sin, walking in the counsel of the wicked means walking in the counsel of those who are not of God. Those who are not of God. What does that look like? How do I say that even more plain? Well, listen, who influences you, the world or Jesus? That's what we need to know. Who influences you? Who determines the moves you're going to make in life? The thoughts you have. Who determines that? Whose guidance do you follow? This is what God is talking about here. He's being plain with us, being plain. And listen, y'all, it's not hard to see how plain the Lord is, is with us, is it? Now, if we don't read scriptures like these and we read only the ones that are just going to, woo, then we, we, can, we can get a wrong idea about who God really is. But we need to know who God actually is, okay? Because y'all know this about me. I don't preach about Uncle Jesus. I don't preach about Cousin Jesus. I don't preach about Jesus and them. I don't preach about that. I preach about the Jesus of the, the scriptures, the one who actually has the power to save. Because let me tell you something, the world's Jesus, he don't have no power. He doesn't have power. We need real power because we really need to be saved. Amen? All right. To be of God, we must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. In essence, Romans 10, 9 and 10 needs to be true of us. Let me read that for you. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, we, we know that it's profession and belief. That's what that requires of us, right? Profession and belief, and a profession that comes from true belief. Because we know also that we can just say some words and not really believe them, don't we? How many times have you ever said, been, been angry at somebody, and, and you may say, no, I, no everything I, I say is what I believe in. No, I don't, I don't think that's true. Because we say things to people in anger that we really don't mean. But we know how to get them, don't we? We know how to get at them. But we don't really mean these things. You know what I'm saying? Man, I remember telling, I, I remember telling my mom and dad some things as a kid. I wish I would have never said. You know what I'm saying? Like telling them that, you know, that, that, that I wish they weren't my parents, and you know, all these other kinds of things. And I wish I would have never said those things, because I didn't really believe that. That wasn't, but I knew that it was going to hurt them. And that's what I was feeling in the moment. And so your feelings, also, I want you to know your feelings are fleeting and can lead you astray. Why? Because the heart of man is desperately sick. It's desperately sick. We say things we don't mean sometimes. But let me tell you something. When that belief is really there, and the profession comes from that belief, that wellspring that's welling up in us, Oof. That means Jesus is yours and you are his. And that is the beautiful thing about this life is that we even get a chance to be saved from the wrath of God by a wonderful and glorious and beautiful Savior who would even come down to give his own life for you in order that you could have that. 
Isn't that amazing? Now, walking in their counsel um, the, is to live making decisions based on what the world says is true. This is walking in the counsel of the wicked. Based on what the world says is true. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that the world has the right idea about truth? About truth, about what's true, about what's real. I tell you right now, I don't. I don't. I don't trust any of them, man. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I trust people to be exactly who they are. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe people are going to show us exactly who they are. What have they done? What? Not not only what have they said, but what have they done? What have they done? And as we know, if we know anything about the world, we know that the truth for the world changes from day to day, moment by moment, based on usually right now, it's especially feelings, emotions, emotions. It's emotive truth, which is not truth. It's just the way that they feel. It's based on emotion and a substandard view of morality. Substandard. Substandard. It's low. It's a low view of morality, not a high view of morality that God has and has given. In order to have the right ideas in life, according to God, we have to go to his word. We've got to know what God's saying to us. And that's what I want for you. I want for you to know what God is saying to you. I want you to know what he's saying to you, what he's saying to the world, what he's saying to everybody. And I want you to know that for real. I want you to know the truth about that. And how do we know that? Well, we go to his word. And we can always depend on his word. I want us to go to his word to know what it says, what he's saying. And then also, I want us to live by it. I want us to live by that word. John 14, I want to read some verses to you that I've read to you time and time again. And the reason I read these so often is because of how, because of how they strike me, because of what they do in my heart, what they bring to remembrance for me. We always need to be reminded of what God says about how to love him. Many of us believe that God just requires the type of love that we would, or we would cry out to him in times of distress. Let me tell you something. Foxhole prayers are frequent for people. When we're in times of, of need and struggle and stress and turmoil, right? We're going to cry out for help. We're going to. But are we going to be obedient in other moments? Are we going to listen to the commands of God? Listen to what he says, John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So this is why it's so important that we not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Because he's saying here that the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth. Who's the Spirit of truth, church? The Holy Ghost, right? Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of truth. They can't receive him. Why not? Because they have not professed and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. So they have not received him. And they cannot receive him. And if they have not received him, cannot receive him, then they don't really know what's true. And so when we walk in the counsel of the wicked, then we're walking in the counsel of people who don't even know the truth. Right? Okay. Again, verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Now that's for every person who believes in Jesus Christ. How glorious is that? You know him. You know God. Because he's with you. And he will be in you. In you. That is an amazing thing. It is our Christ-exalting love that is our proof of faith, church. And this is the mark of the believer, the one who loves God. We love him by being obedient to him. Again, in verse 21, John 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know, there's a lot of wills in there. Right? There's a lot of wills in there. Let me, let me, let's, let's see. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Do you desire to be loved by God this morning, church? How about tonight? You desire to be loved by God tonight? How about tomorrow morning, though? Is it just for today? Is it just a daily love? Just for today. How about tomorrow? How about the next day? How about you? Yeah? Is that you? Am I speaking to you, church? Is the Lord speaking to you this morning about what the Father will do for you if you keep his commandments? Because... Keeping his commandments is not work for salvation. It's work because of salvation. It's work in response to salvation. It's work in response to the love of God. So God loves you, and you are saved because you believe in your heart and profess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. The spirit of truth is now in you because of that profession, right? And then, once the spirit of truth is in you because of that profession, guess what's now on your heart? The law of God. And you desire to meditate on the law of God. In other words, you desire to be holy as God is holy. In other words, and I know I keep saying in other words, but let me, let me, this is the root of it. We want to do what God wants. We want it. If you don't want to do what God wants, then there's a problem there. If you want to do what God wants and fail to do it, the fact that you want to do what God wants means that you're going to be guilty and shameful about not doing what God wants, and so you're going to confess that sin to him, you're going to repent, and you're going to come back to him. That's what it means. Because the law of God is on your heart, and you desire to do what the law of God says, you desire to be right and holy before him, and namely, you desire to love as he loves, to love him above all else, and to love others as you love yourself, right? The greatest commandment. This is what we want. We want to be loving. We want to pursue people out of the love of God. And when we want to do that, that is a mark of our faith. That is a mark of the Christian. You're marked by it. Because now you're being obedient and you're meditating on his law. In verse 23, I'm sorry, let's, let's go to 21 again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Did you know that Jesus will be manifested to you through this? What does manifest mean? What's that? Made real. made real. Man, those are the two words that were right on my mind. He's made real to you. In other words, he's made real. You could see him. Even Jesus not being in, here in physical presence, in physical form, like we see each other, He's made real to us. We know. We know. It's in our essence. It's in our being to know that he's with us. He's made real to us. Verse 23 says, 
Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will. So if you love God, you will keep his word. You will do it. You will. And even when you don't, guess what happens? You're going to confess, and you're going to repent, and you're going to come back to God. You always will. That's what a true Christian is. That you'll always come back. You always will. Because once you're his, you're always his. You remember the story of the prodigal son, church? The one who went out and went into the world, asked for his inheritance early, and said, man, man, the heck with y'all. I, I want to go out. I want to do all this stuff, man. I want to do what I want, you know, when I want, with whoever I want, that's, and how I want. That's what I want to do. I want to do what I want, right? Goes out into the world. Gets in all kinds of trouble. Comes back. Once he comes back, what happens? The father runs out to him, doesn't he? Right? And says, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Clothe him. And why does he say that? Because he was always his son. Because even when he went out, he didn't cease to be his son. He was always his son. I had a, a, a friend of mine tell me years ago, you know, that, that you know, because some people have trouble with the once saved, always saved doctrine. And... Um, because of certain scriptures that seem to say something, but if we read them in context, they really don't. And he says, you know, I think about it like this. Once a son, always a son. And I thought, man, that's good. And that's the way I see it too. He was always his son. And his father rejoiced when he ran back to him, when he came back. He rejoiced. He rejoiced. And he came back and he had everything that was his father's. He came back and was part of that family. Why? Because he never ceased to be a son. I want to tell you, church, this morning that I want you to have hope that if you fall and if you fail, come back to God. Because if you're a son or a daughter, you are always a son or a daughter. The true Christian will always come back. In verse 24, he says this in John 14, 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the Father, and, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is but the but the Father's who sent me. And then in verse 30, he says this I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded, has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now we're hearing two things in these two verses in 30 and 31 that are important for what we're talking about today. Number one, Jesus is doing what the Father is commanding him. Do you hear that? Jesus is doing what he's being commanded by the Father. This means that when Jesus says, if we love him, we will obey his commands, that he's calling us to live like him. He's calling us to be obedient like he is. He's calling us to be like him. And let me tell you something, church, that you're being sanctified. You're being set apart. You're being made holy right now. God is growing you in your faith and obedience to him by being faithful. God is growing you in this moment. In this moment, he's doing a work in you. He's allowing you to realize things that are true about him that maybe you haven't realized. He's bringing up things in your own life and how you've been disobedient to him. He's doing that for you right now. I know he is. I know he is. I know that a great deal of you have already thought about things that you've done that disappoint God, just as I've been talking. 
I guarantee you you have. I guarantee it. I know it. Because I've thought about it while I've been preaching. Hello. This is what God does for us. He continues to change us. From one moment of glory to the next, He continues to change us. So Jesus is doing as the Father commanding Him. That's number one. Jesus is calling us to live like Him. Because He's not asking us to do anything that He's unwilling or unable to do. Did you know that's a mark of true leadership? I don't want to follow anybody that's not willing to do what they're asking me to do. I don't want to do it. Why not? I don't know. Why aren't you willing to get dirty? I'm willing to get in the muck for you, church. I'm willing to dig ditches and I'm willing to get in there with you. I'm really I'm ready to grind down and work. I'm willing to do that. Why? Because that's the way that God made me. Because that's the way He is. Did you know how do you know how much it took? I don't know that any of us really would grasp exactly, but can we realize for a moment what it took for Jesus Christ to come down into this world and become flesh? That the perfect would be made flesh and dwell among us and be tempted in every way as we are, yet not sin. Tempted he was. In other words, he knows what you're being tempted with. He knows about temptation. He knows about the struggle of life. That he would come and give himself over. And at the hands of men, be killed. Accused of crimes he did not commit. Would be wrestled away in the middle of the night. This is amazing stuff. It's true leadership and true discipleship that has love at the bottom and love at the center of it. That's true love that Jesus is calling us to. And this is the call of God in the lives of every believer to be like Jesus. Number two, this is the second thing he's telling us in verses 30 and 31. Jesus says that there is a ruler of this world that has no claim on him. This is the enemy of God, the devil, Satan himself. He has no claim on Jesus. And likewise, if we are in Christ, let me tell you something. Newsflash, this is freeing for you, church. He has no claim on you. No claim. Woo. Did you know that in Jesus Christ, the devil has no claim on you? No claim. No claim. Hmm. But it also shows us that when we, are, we, when we are not following Jesus, that we are following his enemy. He says there's a ruler of this world. Right? He calls, calls him the prince of the power of the air. Right? Ruler of this age. Let me, let, me, let me give you another little tidbit on that. Let's go to John chapter 8, verses 42 through 45. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So you see, Jesus is playing with the people and he's playing with us in the text that we are not to walk in sin, not to make a practice of it, not to fall, not to fall and stay fallen. He tells us that if we do, and if we don't follow his command to come out of sin and love him, then we have a different father than the father he has. And we don't want anything to do with that father, church. We want to be one with Christ. We don't want the world's father. We want our father to be one with Christ, to be one with the Holy Spirit. We want the Father of all creation that breathes and speaks and galaxies are created. We want that Father. We want to believe rightly in the one true God of all creation that loves us so much that He sent His only Son to this earth to be born of a young virgin girl named Mary that lived and died on our behalf, that Son did, so that through faith in that Son, we would live forever with Him. And in this forever life that starts here on this planet, we would be changed once we believe. We want the Father of all creation to be our Father, not the Father of this world. This teaching is echoed by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. Listen to this. From verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Did you know that God makes your life new to walk in Him once you're changed by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ? He is making you new. Mm. You're being changed. You're being changed. And see, in walking in newness of life, we would be able to stand firm, church in the foundation laid before us by the word of God and the teaching of the apostles. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He doesn't want you to be tossed around, church. He wants you to be mature, not children. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to learn. He wants you to be built up in faith. Verse 14 again, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
remember, speaking the truth in love, not speaking the truth in arrogance, not speaking the truth as a hater, not speaking the truth, right, prideful and puffed up and <laughs> laughing at people if they don't know what's right. Speaking the truth in love, church. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, uh, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you want the church to grow? Not only here at First Baptist, but worldwide. You want the church to grow? Well, you're being equipped. How are you being equipped? By the preaching, by the watering of the word, because we've planted seeds and I'm watering them now. And for you to be ministers of the church, it is your responsibility. It is your challenge. It is your opportunity. Listen to this again in verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Do you know that that's what my position is, church? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So who does the work of the ministry? The saints. Who are the saints? Raise your hand if you're a saint. So that means that it's your opportunity, it's your challenge to do the work of the ministry. To minister in the church. To help. To come alongside so that by watering, by planting seeds and watering, that you would grow up into full, mature manhood, womanhood. That you would grow up and become mature, not children, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the waves. But that you would grow up into this. And so when you don't want to do the work of the ministry, I want you to take a look at this and say, why, Lord, what is holding me back? What is holding, because let me tell you something, something is holding you back if you don't want to do it. If you don't want to be a part of it, something is holding you back. And it's not God. Because God is clear with us here that this is our responsibility and our opportunity. It's our challenge in the church. It's not like... So this is what it's, it's like to not walk in... Uh, uh, or this is what it's like to walk in the counsel of the wicked, right? And then in Ephesians 4 here to not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That we are walking in the counsel of God instead. God himself. That the church will be built up. That it will grow in love if we perform the work of the ministry as a church. This is what it's like. Walking in the counsel of the world is walking in the way of sinners. And to walk in the world is to be separated from Christ. That's not what we want. Instead, we want to be cut out from the world. We want to be joined to Christ. And we want to be part of the adoption of God and be his sons and daughters by adoption. Because remember, if God's saying you are sons of your father, the devil, then that means that not everybody's a child of God. You know that, right? Not everybody's a child of God, church. That's a teaching of the world. And it's a false teaching. We are all made in the image of God. That is true. That is the Imago Dei. We are in the image of God. We are, being, we are created in the image of God. But in order to be his son or his daughter, you have to be adopted into his family. And the doctrine of adoption in the scripture says that God's grace calls you, you come to him, you believe in Jesus Christ, and when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the promised indwelling Holy Spirit, and then you have been adopted into the family of God. Because you were not born into it. 
You have to be adopted into it by the grace of God. Again, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So we also hear that we shouldn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, what is a scoffer? And I'm glad you asked. The word lutz, scoffer, is the word lutz. This means to scorn, to make mouths at, to talk arrogantly, to boast, to scorn, to mock, to deride. Hey, do we need that today? So what's a, what's a, what's a world, what's a, what's, a, what's a new age way of saying a scoffer? It's a hater, man. We can't be haters. You know what I'm saying? We cannot continue in this way. We cannot. So that means if we scorn, make mouths at, talk arrogantly, boast, mock, deride people, that means we're being scornful. That means we're sitting in the seats of scoffers. And so does that mean... But wait a second. What is a second, Pastor? But what about in an election year? Can I still be a scoffer then? No. No, you can't. Resist it. Remember, resist the devil and he will flee, right? Turn from it, church. But can't I mock people? Can I deride? Can I put people down? At least because, you know, there's, there's a lot of people. And, you know, no, you cannot. Not if you want to walk with God. So you have to make a choice. Are you going to sit in the seat of scoffers? Are you going to be a hater? Or are you going to walk with God? Are you going to be a Christian? Those are the choices we got. Because Jesus is plain with us in the text. We are, either, we are either with him or we are against him. And we want to be with him, church, don't we? Woo! All right. No scoffers here, right? No scoffers here. No haters. We lovers, right? We're lovers. Lovers of God and lovers of people. All right. We've got to resist that temptation to be like the world, church, because I want you to always remember that the world doesn't need the world, okay? The world doesn't need the world. What does the world need? The world needs Jesus. The world needs God. The world needs the Holy Ghost to do a work. The world needs God. The world needs God. There's a temptation that we have as believers to be influenced by the world, to be like the world, in the church even, so that we can draw the world to the church. You know? But Jesus did not come into the world, act like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, fall like the world, in order to save the world. God has put us, the very word of, uh, put, he's put in us the very word of God. He's put it on our hearts as his people to call the world to him. If we become like the world, then we're just another version of the world. And there's no power in that. Guess what there is power in? The name of Jesus. Did you know that the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? The gospel is the power of God. Not the world. But there is that temptation to become a little more like the world in the church so that we can draw the world. That's a bad temptation. And we got to resist it at every turn. We don't become like the world to draw the world because the world does not need another version of itself. The world needs Jesus. What is appealing to the world about a church that's like the world? 
They already have the world. We are calling the world to the kingdom of God to be set apart, to be totally different, to be his. And as Christians, we are the set apart ones. We are the ones who have been called out of this world to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven while we live here on this earth. Remember, we are indigenous pilgrims. We are born here, but we're not from here. Indigenous, born here, pilgrims, not from here. That's who we are in the church. So let's resist the life of sin, church. And I know that this is a challenge for us, and I'm with you. But hold every thought captive and be angry and don't sin. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be like Christ. Tame the tongue, as James tells us in his letter. Or this, let's take heed of the word from the Apostle Paul under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 29. I want you to take heed of this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Is that hard for y'all? That's a challenging. That's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. Right? Even when you're by yourself. Especially when you're by yourself. When there's nobody else around. But let me tell you something, church. If nobody else is around, who's there? We know God's there. We know he's listening. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So we are hearing that we're supposed to be graceful with our speech. Graceful with the things that we say. Loving. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So what it does is it grieves the Holy Spirit of God when we are we got corrupting stuff coming out of our mouths, talking about people behind their backs. Oh, man, they don't want to do this. And then, you know, talking about the world, talking about your sister, your brother, or whatever it is. That's corrupting talk. Don't do it. Resist it, church. Resist it. Resist it. And hey, I'm with you. I know it's hard, but this is our challenge. This is our opportunity in Christ. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's one, that's one way we know that we're always saved once we're saved because God puts his seal on us and nobody will ever unseal the seal of God. We don't have that power, church. We ain't got the power to seal ourselves or to seal anybody else. We also do not likewise have the power to unseal ourselves or anybody else. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So how do we resist? Well, we put on the armor of God, church. We put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Because let me tell you something, all that protective armor and the shoes and the belt and the helmet and the breastplate, hey, that's good stuff. But let me tell you something, I need a weapon to fight with too. And what is our weapon? Our weapon is not the weapon of man. It is the weapon of God. It is the word of God himself. Our weapon is this right here to go to because when the world tries to convince you that something is true, that the word of God does not say is true. In fact, the word of God is directly opposed to that word of the world. Then we know that we've got something to fight with, church. That's this. And this will always be the sword of the spirit. This will always be God's word. And ain't nobody going to take, take it from us. They haven't done it yet, and they ain't going to take it from us now. 
We need that word. Remember in Psalm 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We need this word. We need to meditate on this word day and night. That's a New Testament, uh, that's a New Testament promise from God as we read Psalm 1, 2. Because the law of God is in us, is on our hearts as believers, and we want to do what's right, the word of God itself is what we meditate on because that brings us back to the law of God. We need that word. The whole armor is what we need. Listen to God, church. Listen to him that you wouldn't be puffed up or scornful of others. Listen to him so that you can be loving as he is loving. Listen to him and be forgiving as he has forgiven you. When you get caught up in the world, we can think and we can get ideas about God that are not of God. We can bring him down to our level and start thinking that he's like us. But let me tell you something. He is not like us, church. God is not like us. We have to be changed in order to be like him. Do you telling me God's like us? Uh-uh. A lot of times we're like, well, I would do this, so I know that God would do this. No, resist that. Resist that. Because you would do something does not mean that God would do something. If it's not in his word, then he doesn't do it. He does not accept what is unacceptable to him. He does not love what is unlovable to him. He does not permit what is unpermissible to him. He does not. Because you would do it does not mean that he would do it. And if you would do it and he doesn't do it, I need you to pray and ask God for help with that. Because what we permit, mm, it's going down the twos, church. He's not like us. Just listen to the way that, 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 God, that, that uh, God puts it uh, to us in, in the word that he gives to Job. Job 42 and verse 1. You see, in this body, in this body, because God is changing us to become like him, even in this body, as we are becoming him, becoming like, I'm sorry, not becoming him, becoming like him, we are still but a dim version of him. God's light and glory is something magnificent. It's not like us. Job 42, listen to the way he says it. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You see, Job is even saying, listen, I was talking about you in ways that I, I didn't even realize were wrong because I've brought you down to my level, but I'm, you're not on my level. Please bring me to your level. Please... You've got, oh my goodness, listen to this. Verse 3 again. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and, and you make it known to me. Because listen, church, we need to ask God so that he makes it known to us what he desires, what he requires, what he loves. In verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That is true faith, church. That is true faith. Someone who wants to know what's right. Please, church, I want you to add this to your prayer, okay? For you personally, please, from here on out, please pray that God would teach you what is right and that you would know what is right that he would make you wise. 
in His counsel, by His counsel, that He would teach you what's right and what's true. That what God sees is true and right, that you would see that as true and right. And what, what you think is true and right, that God doesn't see as true and right, that He would change you so that you wouldn't see it that way anymore. You see, Job's words should also be our words. The very words of God Himself transformed Job and made him different. They made him see God differently. He recognized that God is not like him and that he needs the intervention of God in his life in order to be God, in order to be with God. He needs the intervention of God, and so do we, in his life, in our lives, in order to be with God. May we have this very same revelation made real in our own hearts today, church. May we be people of faith who trust God at his word and take seriously our responsibility in the kingdom to love him in response to his grace and his mercy towards us. And I want to leave you with this from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray, Lord, that we are blessed people of God who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor uh, get in the way of sinners or sit in the seats of scoffers, but that we are a people of God blessed by you, Father, who meditate on your law day and night, who seek the life of the true Christian believer who seek to walk in your ways. I pray that that's true of us, Father. I pray that we are those people. Father, I pray that we call everyone who does not know you to you. I pray that we continue to plant seeds, Father, to continue to water, to continue to grow. Father, would you do this for us, Father? Please help us to know what's right. Father, please, Father, I beg you, Father, that your people would know the truth. I pray that your people would be set free by the truth, Father. Set free from their own desires and the temptation of the world to follow you and you alone. Father, I pray that we would know you and the power of your salvation, Father. That we would have the gospel deep within our hearts, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would... I pray, that, Lord, that, that we would just be submitted to you and your righteousness, your rule, your purpose and your will for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or would like to donate to help further the ministries of First Baptist Church, please visit our website at firstbaptistap.com. We pray that you have a blessed week and please join us again for another biblical message straight from God's Word.